the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab episode number 624 for Sunday, September 25th, 2016. Well, readings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show. It's like car talk for Apple geeks, where you send in your questions, your tips, your cool stuff found. We share your questions. We answer your questions. We share your tips and cool stuff found. The goal when we get together is for each and every one of us to learn at least four new things. This episode is sponsored in part by Fat Cat Software Power Photos. Visit fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG. Coupon code MGG saves you a bundle on power photos and it is a bundle because you get power photos and iPhoto library manager together in that one license. We'll talk more about that later here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Trueville, Connecticut, John F. Braun and here in another part of Durham, New Hampshire, very close to Dave is pilot Pete. Thanks for having me guys. Thanks for being back, Pete. It's great to have you, man. Yeah. Yeah. Good to be here. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. Well, we made it through the week, John. Yes, yeah, I, got, I got some goodies. We all got some goodies. Well, did you, some of us got some did goodies. Did you get some goodies? What'd you get, John? Well, upgraded my phone. Right. So you got you got your uh, your iPhone 7 arrived, correct? Yeah. So I went... Um, so for the last several iterations here, I've actually gone um, uh, to our local... The, we have a Verizon corporate store sure. in town. And I was going to go in Friday to see if my cases would fit. Um because they said, yeah, we'll get some, you know, display units in on Friday and you can, you know, see if, if the case is yeah, fit. do whatever you want. Sure. And I show up on Friday and um, they have anti-theft tethers on them. And I'm like, guys. Oh, yeah. No man. cases on those. That's right. So I, cu- I couldn't. Um, yeah. But then I talked to one of the reps and, so, and they're whoa, like, whoa, yeah. Hang, hang, hang Oh, OK. All right. Yeah, keep going. Because I want to talk about your cases. That's actually the, probably the most important part of this story. But, but keep going. They're the most relevant. Well, to, no, and then to I, and then I talked listens. to a rep. Yeah. And I said, yeah, you know, I saw on your website, you know, and I got to think a text or something. And um, like, so I, so I can upgrade to the seven. So I, I'm like in the middle of my payment plan um, right. on the success. And I'm like, yeah, you got this thing on your website saying I can get the seven for a little additional money. And they're like, yeah, yeah. You trade in your six, we'll give you a uh, 650 credit, which is like, oh, okay, that's nice. And uh, we'll get you seven. And then the rep went in the back and, uh, and they're like, you, you want the 32 or the 128? And I'm like, yeah, you know, I think I want the 128. <laughs> yeah. They don't have a 64. Right. No, I wouldn't, um, I, I wouldn't do the 32 either. That's, that's no, the thing is yeah. I right now on, uh, well, on my success, which was a 64, um, I was taking up about 32. So it's like that, that, that'd be silly to get 32. And now with raw and, you know, so I'm like, yeah, go for the 128. And they're like, okay, you know, uh, you got to pay sales tax and you got to pay, you know, I think one additional payment. And, uh, but we don't have the black, we had the silver. So actually I, I could have gotten the silver that day, but they're like, okay, we'll ship it to you. you sure. Know, um, probably arrive in a week. And as it turns out, it shipped out of Pennsylvania. And, uh, so I got it on Tuesday and, uh, Migration was great. Uh, very easy. I didn't even have to swap the uh, SIM this time. They've uh, streamlined their uh, uh, switchover process. And, very cool. Um, you know, restored from an iTunes backup versus an iCloud, though I don't... Eh. I, I decided to do an iTunes backup. Sure. It makes some things faster. 
though you know has to download all the apps. And it still downloads the apps. I yeah, I always I, I used to do the I, iTunes uh, restore, but I had too many experiences where it stopped in the middle of that for some reason, and I found it far more reliable to just do an iCloud restore. Um, and that way iTunes doesn't need to be involved. There's no issue and it just downloads. And, you know, you're only talking about downloading your user data. It's not like, as you said, it's not like you're downloading all the apps or anything like that. It's, um, it's, it's Plus you just, can do it on the go. You can do it on the fly. You don't have to be home and tethered to your computer. Totally true. It, st- it starts at the Mac it store. Starts anywhere you're on. Where, Wi-Fi, wherever right? you are. Yeah. yeah. Okay. No, it's, and that's a better way to do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah I yeah. So, so that it, I did both. I actually did an iCloud backup. You know, yeah. for, from the old phone, and then I did a, a iTunes backup as well. Just oh, I do backups in both places. Make no make no mistake. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, yeah, it is possible for me to do it either multiple way. I just layers. Yes, multiple layers. That's right. Yeah. So, all right. So, I want to. You've got your iPhone now, and and I think the question that you were intending to answer is actually one that's very interesting to uh, our listeners. Comparing cases from now, we're talking about the non-plus sized phones. So the iPhone 6s that you had prior, which is takes cases that are exactly the same as the iPhone 6. Um, so we're talking about cases for the 6 and 6s. How do they work, John, on the iPhone 7? Well, I got two. Ca- the thing is, some. So one case I have is the OtterBox Universe, uh, which they gave me. Thanks which is a, a case that you, it has a standardized uh, place where you can plug in lenses and a standard a slide where you can slide in various accessories and they plug into the lightning. And the thing is the phone fits in it and the lightning accessories that I have still work. So I got a battery pack. Um, what else do I have? Oh, I got a few other goodies, but um, that works fine. The thing is the, the camera lens is in a different position. So although I can take pictures um, the uh, lens thing doesn't uh, align properly. So I will upgrade and get the 7 version. Is um, it the flash or what doesn't align? Well, the, the lens... The, no, the flash is in the right place, but the lens is in a different position. So I, I need to get the 7 one if I want to use the lens attachments. But, you know, all the buttons and everything are in the... Uh, and also you want to keep in mind is that, you know, some things are covered up. Like, for example, there's a speaker on top now, I believe, right? No. I mean, there's a speaker, there's a speaker in the, like where the earpiece, where the earpiece is. Thank you, Pete. And then there's a speaker at the bottom. That's it. Take a look at your phone. But, but all the, uh, but but all the buttons and everything are in the same place here. So the thing is I I have the case on here. I'm using it. It's just, if I want to use my lens attachments for this, then, um, yeah. Okay. Um, so if I want to use lens attachments, then, then I'll have to get the, uh, updated, uh, universe case. case. Yeah, and then the other one I have is the uh, SanDisk iExpand memory case. And that's that works fine. Really? It, the, the aperture for the camera lens is big enough that, that it just fits the different lens from the iPhone 7? Oh, well, if you look at that case, it actually has a huge cutout in the lens area. Okay. It just has like a support beam Got it. in the middle. But you can actually see the Apple logo and the lens and all that. And, and that, that case works fine. Sure. And that also has a battery attachment. So, so that case, uh, you should be able to use your six case. Okay. Um, so really the only thing people need to worry about is the, the, the aperture, the opening for the camera lens. If it's, if it's big enough, if they made it real tight just to fit the iPhone 6, 
it it's not going to work. If they made it, if they're really loose and big, then it probably will fit the iPhone six. Yeah, but here, even though it's uh, part of the lens is covered, I can take the pictures. Oh, um, I see. Okay, so it is covering part of the lens. Okay. And it's funny because I saw something posted on the internet saying, you know, here's here's how you solve the problem for some cases and you get a jigsaw and you kind of yeah 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 a little exacto knife <laughs> or some or some clippers and you just snip out the bottom if if, if it turns out your old case is blocking it but yep. um yep. so yeah and then you know uh mine came with 10.0 on it during the uh itunes restore process it said hey there's a 10.0.1 and then uh as as you probably know there's a 10.0.2 to fix some little hiccups they had yeah it's true my phone came with 10.0 and and I believe that would have been the only way to get 10.0 because the if you were if you had an iPhone 6 or prior and you upgraded from 9 to 10 you went straight to 10.0.1 but yeah my phone came from Apple uh and needed that software update to 10.0.1 in order to uh in order to accept my my backup restore which was interesting but you know it's fine yeah and uh yeah, so I like it. You know, there's your incremental changes. The uh, the the button that is not a button is, is kind of neat with the uh, the happy. All right, so I got to ask you a question. What 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 number are you, John? One, two, or three on your uh, on your home button feedback? I'm a middle of the road type of guy. So uh, right now I'm I'm on two. We'll, two. we'll see how that. Okay. Eh, All right. Works works for me. Are you going to ask me what I am, John? What are, <laughs> I know what you are. What? <laughs> but what am I, <laughs> John? You're a big old number two. What's Dave? I am I am uh, a, I am a number one guy. I I very I've tried all three, and I really like the the minimal feedback of one. I mean, I like having some feedback, but it uh, three makes it feel very squishy. Which, and I realize this is just the feel, but uh, but it makes it feel squishy. Do you have Do you have a seven P? I don't. So right. I'm sitting here totally in the dark. Yeah, uh, yeah. So go ahead and uh, so that's number one. Button. Just press the home button. Okay. Right. So you oh. felt it click, but that's different, isn't it? Barely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So let me open it for you. This is so live testing uh, here. Yeah. So it does. So the the button, as John said, isn't really a button. It, right. There's no mechanical so push there. You can see I'm on one, but you can change it now to two or three. And it, you know what it feels like? It is. It feels like it's pushing down in the case. Correct. Which it's not. Yeah. Yeah. So you can you can feel the difference. And, uh, nice. It's pretty interesting. Okay. Yeah, it's different, but definitely there's no mechanical push to that button, which you didn't realize. It just feels like the whole phone is going in the case. So I can imagine out of the case, it must feel very strange. Yeah. It's clicking in your hand. It, it feels the same as it does in the case, except there's no case for you yeah. to mentally wrap your head around. Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, the came with the adapter. I use my analog headset. Works fine. Uh, person people on the other end had no difference well you were the second person i called when i got okay. it i'm like hey what's up and yep. you're like yeah hey what's up um and we proved that uh wi-fi calling does still or hd calling still does not work um in hd between carriers because as soon as i picked up the phone right. i was i said oh you're not using wi-fi calling and you said yes i am and i thought well it doesn't sound like it I'm like ah right because you are on verizon I'm on AT&T. When I call other AT&T people that are on Wi-Fi calling, it basically sounds like this. It sounds like a high-quality Skype or a FaceTime audio call. But um, cross-carriers in most cities are still not doing the HD. Some places, I think Chicago's one of them, Las Vegas might be another where they're doing the, the Verizon AT&T. They're somehow degrading the signal? Or no, they're not degrading it. They're just not enabled. Like when the call sets up. Right. 
they decide between the two carriers and, and therefore the two devices what the bandwidth of the call is going to be. And it's set. I, I think it's 8K is the norm. Ooh. Yeah, I know. That's, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can almost hear that. Yeah, <laughs> right. Right. Well, a plain old telephone system, I think, is 6K bandwidth. But, but this is 8K. This Skype call that John and I are on right now, I believe, is at 24K. I could look sure. at the uh, the technical call info to confirm it. It is. Yeah. So, um, it, it, yeah. And, and sometimes you'll hear that, actually, on Mac Geekab. You'll hear Skype run from uh from 24 down to 16 and then back up to 24 it's doing some bandwidth uh management of the call but as soon as one of us starts talking it gets better so you would only hear that from john because i'm recording locally for pete and i here but um right john yep and um final thing so only one app that i have i noticed that it doesn't work quite right and this is this is the app that i you know uh, uh mistakenly thought destroyed my old phone and I actually bought the uh, ad-free version of it. It's called Battery Percentage Pro. That does not work. It just, all the settings, it's like, yep, uh, everything's zero. Right. So they must have, there must be an API there that uh, that is no longer accessible to uh, the, you know, the, to developers in iOS right. 10. Yeah. Though, interestingly least. enough, Coconut Battery, if you run it on the Mac and I connect it to the phone, it reads the battery, the the larger battery capacity correctly over over sense. usb right correct yeah 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 no that makes sense yeah because i i, I mistake I, I misspoke there all of these things are available to developers for testing of their own apps so that they can see battery usage and all and all of that stuff so it's okay to use them they are in fact quite reliable um apple just does not want apps published with uh, with with screens that are exposing that data, but it's fine for developers to use it internally, which is why something like Coconut Battery works because it's basically in what what, what I would call developer mode. It's tethered. You've got it over USB, and uh, and the Mac can can sort of actually the Mac can read a lot more data about the iPhone uh, than the iPhone generally can read about itself. So, yeah, um, we did have someone write in about this. I didn't notice this, and I, I haven't heard of anybody notice it. But he's like, why don't I see the battery? usage of my apps anymore and i'm like uh, i see it yeah sometimes I think that was, that was ios a- um i've noticed this more on my ipad um ios sometimes doesn't have enough data or it feels it doesn't have enough data so it's like yeah can you come back later i, I don't have enough data to show you the breakdown yet right he's talking about settings battery on the iphone right it was his his mm-hmm. battery usage details at the bottom were blank uh, a quick tip that is probably obvious, but uh, I'll state it anyway. If you are in settings battery on your iPhone and you uh, look at the bottom under battery usage and it starts listing all the apps that have used the uh, battery and what percentage they've used in either the last 24 hours or the last X number of days, it's up to seven. But if you have only had your phone um like if it, when you first got your iPhone seven, it's not going to say last seven days. It's going to say last four days if you got it four days ago. But uh, you can tap on either the clock on the uh, header bar there or really on any of the apps, which will do the same thing. And it will break it out so that you can see how much of its battery usage was on screen versus background. And that can be, uh, again, mm-hmm. just a handy diagnostic utility for you folks. One other yeah. tip that uh, that came up during this discussion about backups in the chat room at MacGeekCab.com slash stream is that iCloud backups are always encrypted. And what this means is 
when you do a backup of your iPhone, your health data is only included in the backup if that backup is encrypted. In iTunes, you have the option of checking whether or not it's encrypted. I highly recommend you do so. And of course, remember the password. Um, store it in your keychain. Also remember it because things can happen. You don't want your data shielded from you by a password that you have chosen to forget, uh, either mm -hmm. intentionally or otherwise. But, so, but when you back up to iCloud, it is always encrypted, which means your iCloud backups will always be able to restore your health data. So it's good stuff. Nice. And the final thing, yes, John. Um, and we live in different worlds here, but the one thing that I didn't realize, well, I realized shortly. Uh, so once I, you know, hit the road with, with my phone, um, my ISP like yours offers uh, free Wi-Fi, but the mm. way they authenticate is different. Now, in my case, uh, opt online Wi-Fi uses the Mac address of the phone to auto log in because I was out and about and I'm like, why is my Wi-Fi working on the phone? And I'm like, oh, that's why. And they'll auto add that. And, and that's actually kind of a clunky, not very nice method of doing that. Your provider is much better and you shouldn't have run into this problem because I guess you, you're a, a um, uh, who you Comcast or Xfinity yeah, or yeah, whatever, whatever so they're called now. Xfinity offers two, perhaps three different Wi-Fi signals. One is the, the most common one that, that Comcast users are used to seeing is called Xfinity Wi-Fi, and that is freely available to anyone with a Comcast internet subscription at home. It, if you want to use it on your Mac, I believe you have to have a 25 megabit downstream or faster at home in order to do that. It, it has nothing to do with your speed at home. It has to do with the amount of money that you're paying Comcast. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's a limitation for your iPhone. I don't believe it is, but there is this, you know, if you have like the, the lowest of the lowest plan, I think is 15 megabits downstream. That does not come with no free Wi-Fi for you. No free Wi-Fi for you. Right. Yeah. But we're not for talking my about subscription level. They offer, they will let me have up to five devices, Mac addresses, um, listed if i get a higher tier of service then i can have more devices that oh, let auto log in okay yeah so we're not talking about wi-fi at home in fact we're specifically talking about wi-fi when you're not at home when you're out and about you will run into these things uh with comcast certainly nationwide where you can connect to wi-fi but one thing that's very important to understand is that a free unpassword protected wi-fi signal also means it's unencrypted. The password is the only having a password on it and preferably something with, you know, like WPA encryption uh, is the only way to encrypt a Wi-Fi signal from the router and the base station. You could, of course, use a VPN on your own and send encrypted traffic over an open Wi-Fi signal. And of course, if you're on an open Wi-Fi signal, we highly recommend that. But in order to get it encrypted, you need a password. And this matters because if there are other people on the same public Wi-Fi, they could, depending on how things are set up, sniff and see your packets being sent back and forth. If the data is encrypted, they don't get to see anything. If the data is not encrypted, they might get to see everything. So there's a growing trend in public Wi-Fi for them to use passwords. And, and this might seem like a pain when you go to your favorite coffee shop or your favorite restaurant or whatever, and you see that they have a password on their Wi-Fi, And you think, why, why do they have a password if they're just going to post it right here on the wall? 
everybody, including people that aren't in the restaurant, are going to know this password. It's not utterly secure. And the reason is not to secure to keep others from using the connection. It's to secure your use of that connection. So with that in mind, Comcast has an Xfinity network, all caps, that is WPA encrypted. And this is so your traffic is encrypted, but you need to know the password. Comcast won't tell you the password. They don't want people to know the password. They would just want pe people to be able to use it. And there's another way, and you could do this at your home too, to get a password onto an iOS device without telling the user what the Wi-Fi password is. And that is by means of a profile. So Comcast has a profile that you can install on all of your iOS devices. And I put up a little article explaining how to do it. It's actually very, very simple. You visit a web page, you log into your Comcast account to prove that you are you. And then it offers to download the profile onto your phone. Assuming you accept it onto your phone, you're good to go. And if you dig into the profile, you'll see that there's just three Wi-Fi networks in the profile. That's it. One of them is this Xfinity network, which is WPA encrypted and has a password. The other two are the aforementioned Xfinity Wi-Fi open network and one called cable Wi-Fi open network, which is I think something that some of the other providers use and Comcast sort of participates in. So that's, um, I, and I, and I, I bring this up and I explain it this way, a, so that you know what you're doing, uh, when you're not, you know why you're doing what you're doing, but B to help dispel some myths. When I published this article originally, I had a bunch of people like instantly saying, Oh, I wouldn't trust a certificate from Comcast. Uh, you know, it's evil. This is terrible. And I thought, well, okay, whoa, whoa, let's slow down folks. You know, what we're talking about is, are you going to use the free, open, unpassword protected Xfinity Wi-Fi network, or are you going to use the password protected encrypted Xfinity network? We're not talking about whether or not you want to use Comcast. If you distrust Comcast so much that you wouldn't put a profile on your phone that clearly only has three Wi-Fi networks in it, then you certainly don't trust Comcast enough to have them run your home internet connection. And if that's the case, you're not even a part of this discussion because you can't access either one of these networks. <laughs> it's all good. So that's what we're talking about here. And, and honestly, I trust Comcast fine. It's sending my data across uh, their network. Uh, they, if they, they are way too big uh, to risk sniffing people's traffic and getting caught. Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, would, it just would end badly. It would end really, really badly. Yeah. So I, you know, I, uh, and, and you can call me naive if you want many, many, many have, and you're in very, very good company. You're naive. Thanks. I appreciate that. Pete. You sure know how to make a girl, to be in good girl feel special. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. But, uh, but that's where you go. So anyway. So that's all I got to say about the iPhone. I'm, uh, I'm happy, happier. I got the latest shiny. Cool. I didn't think I wanted it, but I'm like, yeah, why not? Since it's not going to really cost me anything. You know, well, it'll cost you more. It just won't cost you more per month. And, you know, John put something in that, uh, uh, mentioned it in passing, and I went and found the link on it. It was that SanDisk uh, expand, iExpand case, which is something that the, the Droid users have been busting on us for years. Oh, you can't expand the memory on your phone. I didn't realize, I, I went until I started reading the specs, that case will expand the memory on your iPhone by up to 128 gigs. Sort of. Sort of. Okay. Not really. Oh, I thought it was for like photos and stuff like it, that. It is, yeah. but you, yeah. as I understand it, and John, correct us, please, but it's not just making your phone think it magically has more memory. Right. 
it gives you essentially a portable memory card that the SanDisk app can use to store things on gotcha. and offload okay. things from the phone, which okay. is not, I, I mean, it's not a bad thing. No, no, not at all. It's just yeah. not magic. Correct. Like now, Oh, look, your phone is a 256 gig phone and you can install apps on here. Right. No, right. Correct. Okay. And it will, when it's doing the backup, it'll say, Oh, by the way, you want me to uh, clean out, clean up your camera roll. So sure. you have more uh, memory on your phone or do you want to leave it there and just, you know, have uh, use this as a backup. Um, they did offer devices for, for quite a while that were not cases. Um, so, you know, Sandus has been doing this for a while. Um, they also offer, so another thing to mention is that they do offer a module for the OtterBox case. Um, so actually, the, the neat thing about the OtterBox case is, you know, with that, you can make your case a memory case or you can make it a battery case because they, they have all the inserts. It's a really clever idea. Mm. I'm really glad they hooked me up with it. Cool. All right. Let's uh, let's move on. We've got some questions. Sierra's out now. I hope you've all had uh, had a good time installing it. If in fact you chose to do so, and uh, and so now it's time to to dig in a little bit and see what uh, see what you've had to say. So we're going to start with Mark, and Mark writes, "I have a future issue that I anticipate." will come true in the very near future. I'm running Sierra beta on my 2010 MacBook Pro and El Capitan on my 2014 Mac mini. My plan is to upgrade them both to the final this week. Uh, that will introduce the syncing of iCloud desktop and iCloud documents to both machines. And it's true with, uh, with Sierra, you can now have it sync your desktop and documents folders to keep those in sync on all your machines via iCloud. I said, here's the problem. I have a master iCloud account that my wife and I share. Both machines are logged into iCloud with this one master account. So based on your current knowledge of Sierra, are, do you have any thoughts on what I could expect? Logic tells me that Apple will barf on this and either try to merge the two desktop folders or it will not upload one or the other. It's a tough call. I'm trying to future-proof my upgrade and would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, so you have to remember, and, and, and I think you do, but you have to remember that in the Apple world, it is one, uh, they have built it so that it is to be used one iCloud account per person, not per device, but also not per family. So if you have four devices, one iCloud account for you is fine. But if you have four family members, four iCloud accounts for you is what they want. And iCloud accounts on the surface are free. You only get five gigs of storage with that and you may want to increase that. And there's no way to pool storage for a family yet. So, you know, there's lots of reasons why I understand why people would share an iCloud account. Most notably uh, photos. Some people want to have a one single family photos repository where everybody's pictures just flow into that. Unfortunately for you, this means that iCloud documents and desktop and documents syncing uh, will cause exactly the problem you are predicting. It will, at best case, merge your two desktops together and your documents folders too as you do this. My recommendation, and Apple will give you this option when you install Sierra, it will ask, do you want it to enable desktop and document syncing? And it'll explain the, you know, 
the, the, the virtues and benefits of doing so, but you're going to say no, because you know, for you, one of the pitfalls is it's going to merge all your data with your wife's data. You don't want to have merged. And again, that's sort of, you're going, you're probably already running into this and you don't realize it because apps do store, even third party apps do store things in iCloud documents and you preferences, settings, those kinds of things are stored there by some apps, some Apple apps and also some third party apps. So you want to be really careful about this. Again, I grok why in, in a, any given use case, there might be a, a compelling argument for sharing an iCloud account. I don't recommend it be- just because of this. Apple doesn't intend for you to do it this way. So they are going to make some very, very bold assumptions about what is safe to do on your behalf with the data that you've entrusted into iCloud because they are assuming it is one iCloud account per user. So uh, I wish I had a better answer for you because I totally understand why you're doing what you're doing, but I, I don't. And really you should split these things if you can make that happen without too much negative long lasting impact. Yeah. Well, they almost force you into sharing it, which is, you know, what my wife and I haven't, it's been the whole photos thing. Right. You know, and uh, it, it's frustrating. She's like, well, I don't have access to our photos. I'm like, okay, well, I'm trying to fix that. Right. But- yeah. That's a bit of a Holy grail thing. We keep talking about that here and there's uh, the sharing of the photos is a pain in the neck. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, it's not good. Yeah. Any thoughts on this, John, before we move on? Do you share your photos mm-hmm. with yourself, John? Um, I don't do iCloud photo library, if that's what you're asking, but I do photo stream. So kind of. But yeah, John doesn't have someone with whom yeah. to share. Fo- I mean, yeah, I, 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 mean I don't yeah. say that yeah. derogatorily. I'm just saying it's the, the world yeah. you're in, you don't, it, this problem doesn't it work itself. for you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. No, it, you're using it as intended, right, John? You you have it's one person for an iCloud account and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it would be nice. And, you know, the family share thing, they, it does some of this like it creates a family calendar, uh, which is a really smart thing to do, uh, if, whether you use apples or, you know, you just create one manually for yourself. But uh and it will sort of let you share photos, but not in a meaningful way. It's it's all still very, very disparate and separated, unfortunately. So. All right. Moving on to Gary with yet another Sierra question. Gary asks, I just started using Quicken 2016 for the Mac and we'll get 2017 when it comes out. At the suggestion of Quicken, I have enabled File Vault on my Mac and I'm currently waiting for the process to complete. Should go pretty quickly with the release date of Mac OS Sierra coming up this week. This question came in before it came out. Uh, will upgrading affect my file vault? And do you know of any popular software that has personally issued a non-compatibility with Sierra issued by themselves or a list issued by Apple? Thanks and keep it going. So yeah. Um, file vault should work just fine with Sierra. In fact, it, it does in, in, in fact, until I got your email, I didn't even think about that because I'm running File Vault on my MacBook Air, which was the first machine that I upgraded to Sierra, and it runs just fine. Uh, File Vault 2 is what we're referring to here, the whole disk encryption version of, of File Vault, which is really the only version that you have accessible to you these days. Works great with Sierra. No problems whatsoever. The, the upgrade just happens. It, it's all good. So... In that sense, you're fine. Um, 
at some point, Apple's new file system, APFS, will take over the role that HFS Plus now plays. Um, but APFS is encrypted at its core, so I don't expect that to be an issue either. But but we're not there yet. That's still very much in a, a playground experimental phase. Upgrading to Sierra is not going to migrate you to APFS. You'd have to really jump through some hoops to get it to do that. And it would be a very intentional process for you. Um, I'm sure there are some apps that are incompatible with Sierra. The things you really need to watch out for are things that deal with hardware. Uh, we've put up a couple of PSAs at, at Mac Observer this week. We talked about ScanSnap on the show last week. Tascam uh, is another company that has not upgraded their their hardware drivers for Sierra yet. That's really the thing to check first and foremost before you upgrade. What what do I have plugged into my Mac? And do they have updated Sierra drivers? And this is, you know, even keyboards, third-party mice, that kind of a thing. It might still work with Sierra without the driver, but you might lose some functionality, that, that sort of thing. So, yeah, you, you, can, um, you can check. I, I would check with the vendors specifically, but there is, as we mentioned last week, RoaringApps.com that... Uh, it sort of maintains a, it's a crowdsourced ongoing list of, of all that stuff. So that's, uh, that's where I'm at with it. Thoughts on this, John? Uh, I didn't notice any difference. Um, well, you're point, not, you're I, not, you're not running Sierra because of two pieces of software that, that you can't upgrade. Well, yet. I'm running, uh, I'm not running it on my daily driver, but I have it on a clone drive of my daily driver because um as you pointed out we should be hip to these sort of things sure <laughs> um that's where i'm at okay wait but yeah the, uh, mail plugins are always going to be a problem with any os upgrade um in this case the, the, there's two that i use um and you use two dave as far as i know so yeah. a signature profiler uh, I guess he is uh, says it was kind of a mess to upgrade that for the new mail and um, and GPG um, they they always lag a bit too. Um, now you could shake your fist at both these guys saying, well, you know, you had time with the you know the betas and all that, right? But um, sometimes Apple changes so much stuff, you know, they they can't get it out in time for release. So I have two mail plugins, and then yeah, as you mentioned, there's that whole uh, I guess they changed the PDF rendering engine and uh, it. it traumatized uh scan snap so yeah um it, yeah i the may folks pull the that, trigger you're you're saying you know suck it up suck it up just yeah <laughs> let's go i can princess. live without i can right. live without those plugins uh, yeah for, and for i i am living without them i i'm a big signature profiler user they i also use mail act on which is created by the same company because the indev and little known software merged together what last year and and so they've been working together on getting their four major plugins ready for Sierra, and they've got three of the four ready. So Signature Profiler is uh, is the one that's not ready, but Mail Acton is, and it works great. We'll put a link in the show notes to the smallcubed.com OS 10 Sierra support page where you can see and get the latest updates at any point in time. So, yeah, I'm checking that daily, waiting for Signature Profiler or SigPro, as they are calling it to uh to come around but yeah it like you can live without it it's fine you lived without it before this will just make you appreciate it all that much more when you uh when you when it comes around so well what i have to do is just manually 
choose my signature from the pull down menu. Like an animal. Right? Yeah. Like, like a cave. <laughs> like, that's right. That's right. Uh, while we're on the subject of APFS, Todd has a question for us. Todd says, and he's a brand new Mac Ecab listener. So welcome to the family. Uh, he says, in the episode just after WWDC, you talked briefly about Apple's new file system, APFS. I understand it has some type of built-in snapshot versioning cloning features. How will APFS affect the use of or need for time machine and or carbon copy cloner? So this is a great question. I, th this is the kind of discussion that it's good for us to have long-term. So please, as these questions come up or you just have ponderings, either ask them or share them with us. This is good because this is where we can really kind of build the hive mind. So Todd, well, not only welcome, but thank you for asking such a great question. Um, the opening such a great topic. So carbon copy cloner wouldn't necessarily need to change much. I'm sure there's some changes that would need to happen, but it uses a lot of what, what I'll call sort of high level um, methods to get your files around. Uh, so the, the file system isn't all that important to carbon copy cloner again there are some things it does that are specific to hfs plus and, and i'm sure they would would tweak those but it could still clone a drive from one you know partition to another just like it does now uh, it's going to copy the files everything's going to work it could probably even keep doing its snapshot thing because really that's just a folder where it moves files that you've deleted from one place all of that would work now whether or not you would still need carbon copy cloner with APFS, that's a valid question. You know, depending on what your use case is of carbon copy cloner, you might not need to do these kinds of clones. You probably, I probably still will because I like to have a separate bootable clone on a separate piece of hardware that I can plug into another Mac and boot from that and be good to go. So that I think will still be necessary. It's possible that Apple will sort of expose or bake that feature into APFS. It would, it would be sort of a combination of APFS and the operating system sort of working together to do that in real time. But, um, but it's possible that Apple could do that. My guess is they're not going to go quite that far with it. Um, and really would leave it up to a third party vendor to say, Hey, look, you with carbon copy cloner. And again, I'm, I'm just spitballing here, but you're doing this thing where you're cloning using all these top level things. Well, now with APFS, you can actually talk right to the file system and tell it to do this clone in whatever way you want. And now you're going, you know, kind of metal to metal here or closer to the metal. It won't be all the way down, but you know, doing it at the file system level, as opposed to just the um, kind of the over, over the top. And, and maybe that makes it more efficient. Maybe there's, maybe there's some, some cool things uh, that that allows third-party software like carbon copy cloner to do so i think you'll still need carbon copy cloner you'll if, if you use it now you would need it in the future with regards to time machine well thank goodness apfs will force time machine to change dramatically because time machine is built on very i don't want to call them overly low but somewhat low level things in the os what, what's called hard links where you're pointing multiple times to the same file. Uh, that's how Time Machine accomplishes its versioning system. So uh, when a file doesn't change, it doesn't actually store a second copy of it. It just points to it with hard links. APFS, if I could point to one thing inside of Apple that 
forced them to want to create a new file system, it would be time machine <laughs> because it's kind of a, it's kind of a mess it, it, by, by, by definition, by necessity, it's a mess because there was no other real way to do this with HFS plus. So they did what they could. And, and actually it was pretty creative. APFS gets rid of anybody having to build what affects to be a, a hack to make something like time machine work. So yeah, time machine will change dramatically. And I think for the better, because this time the file system is being built, knowing that you're going to want to be doing things exactly like time machine, as opposed to, Hey, we've got this file system. That's, you know, whatever, 25 years old or, or older. And, uh, and, Oh, let's, let's, you know, let's, let's build a new edition, you know, that kind of thing. So time machine is currently built on toothpicks instead of pylons. You got it. And, you know, it just, it, it's, it's a fit. Like you say, a hack. It's a hack. It's a huge, a nasty database. It's easily subject to corruption. It seems that. Yeah, but not easily subject only. It's, it's much worse across a network because you're taking all of this craziness. Toothpicks mm -hmm. is a great analogy and putting all of that inside a sparse bundle. So you're, you're adding a layer of, 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 you know, abstraction to it that, that really just makes it worse. And, oh, by the way, let's add another layer of we're over a network here, which means that the chances of an interruption during a critical process like a write are increased exponentially over something being directly attached to your computer. Right. Where you're right. Not, I mean, that happens. Sure. But certainly not with the frequency of, oh, hey, look, oh, yeah, Wi-Fi went down. Oh, well. You know, or, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah, but I can't tell you how, you know, you know how clunky time machine is. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've gone back to get something and it's like, yeah, well, it's not really, it says it's here, but not really. And right. they're just, you know, wipe it out and start over. Again. Just start over. Yeah, that's right. Well, I got to tell you, I haven't been able on my MacBook Pro, which I almost always connect using Wi-Fi. I haven't as of late been able to go for more than two to three weeks without it complaining that the backup is corrupt and I got to do it again. Whereas Ooh. my wired machine has been going months uh, and they're both backing up to the Synology. So, uh, so I'm not going to blame the Synology or the NAS. Um, right. I think it, as you pointed out, because the, because the, the chances are I may at times put my machine to sleep and interrupt the data stream. And that I think causes the image to get corrupt. Hmm. Increases yeah, right. Chances. It increases the chances. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of what we blame on time machine corruption is really more likely sparse image corruption or sparse bundle corruption on these, you know, over the network backups. But not all of it. Yeah. To be fair. But but I would say way more than half. It's just because because it because time machine is so dependent on these hacks toothpicks that have been built on top of hfs plus it needs to know what the file system is on the other side of the network yeah. and the only way to do that is to build a file system in a box and that's what a sparse bundle does okay and, and would it be fair to say there's no real crc checking going on is that why it's no breaking it's, down if, there's, no. if it doesn't complete the right properly or what, but think about on? what happens to your max hard drive uh if while you're doing some critical operation you flip off the power right it, you know, if those writes don't actually finish, then you start up and that's when you start having structure problems, file system problems that you have to fix with disk utility if you can. Right. right. So it's the same thing. When you cut that thing off across the network, it's like you powered down in the middle of a write operation. You know, I mean, you and it's, it's got no idea. 
It's got no idea. As soon as you want it, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't know, and it and you know nothing to check. There's nothing to check. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, no. There's there's error correction happening across the wireless link and all of that. It's not it's not so much that just bad. It's not line noise, right. like you know, to right. go back to the old modem days. Yeah. Well, but that's a fair question. No, it's it's just that you know the operation stopped before it could complete, and the device on the other end cannot predict. It has no idea. It's like, oh, you you had this bundle open. Yeah, yeah. You, you're managing this, not me. I don't know what's going on inside it. I can like close the request for the file, but all all that is is the the entire bundle. So it's saying you had this open, our connection dropped. So I'm going to go ahead and close it. But whatever you had going on inside there, not my problem. Dude, it's your I, job. <laughs> that's you. Yeah, you. I don't, I don't know. Okay. Just like it's not going to go inside a word document. And, and finish your sentence for you. Why not? Right. But, but that's the, that's the right analogy. They need to do that for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, no, I'm going to say that this file's not open by you anymore. Sure. And otherwise I don't know what you were going to type next. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's what goes on. Yeah. Now, Pete, did you know that beginning in OS 10, 10.11 time machine records checksums of files copied into snapshots? I didn't know that. Very I'm just cool. reading that verbatim from the man page for TMUtil, which uh, is how you can fiddle with Time Machine from the terminal. So if that's El, man, El Capitan. Not even Sierra does this. That's good. Correct. Um, which I didn't know until I was, we, we had a Time Machine question. And I, I'm like, well, let me look at the man page and see what it says. And sure. Like, oh, I didn't know they introduced that. They, it was the first I heard of it. I, I'd never heard anybody talk about it until I read the man page. Yeah, yeah. All right, so I, I want to um, – I, I have this great idea for the flow of the show, but I want to make sure uh, – we're going to talk about photos in a minute, uh, but I, I want to I finish this – we have a couple of questions about backups and that sort of thing, and I want to finish those, and then I want to talk about photos. But uh, I, was, I was going to wait and do the ad spot for Power Photos from Fat Cat Software in the middle of our photos segment because, you know, that's cool. Uh, and I like to make ads feel like content and keep them in the flow of the show, especially when it's a great product like like Power Photos, which we discuss on many episodes, even when they're not the official sponsor of that particular one. Uh, but I want to get to this ad. So I'm just going to I want to talk about them now. And then and then later on, we'll we'll come around to the photo stuff, too. It is Power Photos from Fat Cat Software. They are our first sponsor for today at fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG. Power Photos is the utility that you need to make photos do the things that you want it to do. Think about it. Like, boy, it, I was going to say disc utility for photos and it definitely has those things in it, but it's got so much more. It's not just repairing your photos library. It's allowing you to move things back and forth. It's allowing you to manage you can merge libraries together um it's got its own photo browser you can do all kinds of searching as i said when i was migrating my dad from his windows machine i was able to import a bunch of folders and it inherited those or imported those right into photos as albums that's not something that photos will do folks photos will just bring the pictures in and ignore any hierarchy formatting that you used. So if you're coming from something like Picasa or whatever, this just will pull that in, in a meaningful way for you. Uh, it's got a great duplicate photo finder, which, uh, you know, trust me when I tell you, 
we all have more duplicate photos in our libraries than hundreds. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. It just happens. I don't know why it happens, but it happens. Power photos is the app that you need to manage your photos library and really keep it running the way you want it to be running. Apple just doesn't include all the tools you would want to keep things moving the way you want. That's why power photos exist. Think of it as photos pro, right? That's what it's doing, except it's not a standalone. I mean, it's a standalone app, but you need to use it with photos. You're not just going to turn photos off and never use it again. The point is it enhances it turns photos into photos. Pro is really a good way to think about this. The two of them together really, really make that work. Coupon code MGG will save you 20% off the purchase of not just power photos, but when you buy power photos, you get a license for their prior product called iPhoto library manager. You can guess what that does. It's the same thing as power photos for iPhoto. So you buy one license. You can use either one because chances are, you might have an older iPhoto library you still need to massage or do something with. iPhoto Library Manager will do that for you too. You got to check it out. So Power Photos is at fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG. That way they know we sent you. Coupon code MGG saves you 20% off the bundled license. Our thanks to Fat Cat Software and Power Photos for sponsoring this episode. All right, John. Back Back to the backups. Uh, I want to go to Hunter. This is a question we've kind of had floating around for a little while, but uh, but in the in the flow of this current discussion, I think it makes sense. Hunter says, "Where's our thing from Hunter?" Uh, over the weekend, I realized as I cleaned up pictures off my wife's iPhone and filled up my SSD that I need storage. I've been toying with setting up a Mac Mini server with an attached hard drive as storage, using Plex on it, apps and updates, etc. I'm torn if I would be better to set up a NAS, like a Synology, mirrored because every drive fails eventually for Plex and other storage. Currently, I have two users with Macs, iPads, and iPhones. In a few years, I will expand the users as the kids get to computing ages. We both use our phones as our main cameras, but we also shoot two, uh, 20 gigs at a time with our DSLR when we want to take nicer photos. My initial number crunch showed similar pricing. A couple hundred bucks in the span of thousands of dollars is close enough for, uh, for me, Hunter says. Uh, for a Mac Mini, the external storage I would need and backblaze against the Synology with WD Red Drives. Am I crazy to consider a Mac server instead of a NAS? Thanks for any insight. No, Hunter, you're not crazy at all. This is, this is a good thing to stop and consider. At the moment, your Mac Mini it's almost certainly going to have a faster CPU than you would get in a comparably priced NAS. You, but there are, this is changing because of exactly what you describe here. These NAS vendors know that you want to do all of this processing. Plex can require a ton of horsepower or can, can leverage a ton of horsepower. It doesn't require it, but it can make the Plex experience faster and, um, and, and all that stuff. So, uh, and, and it, so, no, you're not crazy to consider this. I, I, if you were going to do it though, I would recommend using something like, um, maybe a Drobo or, or getting, uh, if you're going to do the Mac mini, getting something like a, a Drobo or just a, a direct attached multi-drive thing, you know, OWC sells all their, what they call JBOD uh, boxes with just a bunch of discs, which you can then use OS 10 
And thankfully it's back now in Sierra to set up a, a raid on that, or you can use soft raid if you want. Uh, I, I would recommend doing that because like you said, you're going to have drive failure. Uh, you want to protect against that locally. You don't want to have to go and get terabytes of data from Backblaze or, or anything like that. It, using Backblaze isn't a bad idea. You just, you, you want to have some local protection against that. So I, I would recommend that, but yeah, if you're comfortable, it, it, it really depends on uh, on which path you want to head down. And it's just a personal choice. I enjoy the NAS path. I've been a Linux guy for a long time. I like the web interface that Synology has. I like all the apps that are available. Um, but there are sometimes things where I'm like, oh, if, if I was running this on a Mac, then I could also do that. Like, I don't without having a, a Mac mini server or a Mac server here in the house, I don't have a uh, app store update caching because there's no way my Synology can do that. Cause it's an Apple proprietary thing, right? I can't use proprietary. I, I can't share proprietary iTunes movies to all my devices because my Synology won't do that. Of course, I just strip the DRM off them and then that, then that works fine. And I'm much happier down the road, but that's, that's sort of the thing. And, and there's, there's pluses and minuses either way, but no, you're not crazy to consider this. I have a, uh, you know, as you know, I have the Mac mini server. Yeah. And the nice thing about that, I, I think anything probably after about 2008 or so is going to already come with two hard drives in it. So I have two right. one terabyte hard drives. So that makes it nice. And I was running my Plex natively on that hard drive the problem is once you start getting into a certain number of movies even at 500 700 megabytes per movie you're going to quickly run out of that one terabyte yeah and if you and if you start storing like raw matroska files yes then 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 those are then it's gigabytes so that's what i did i put the drobo in there and the only problem i've ever run into is for instance if there's a power failure and i and i'm on a ups so so it doesn't smack my uh Right. my server too hard right but but there's been cases where it's been so long and eventually it shuts down um that if you're away then you have to find a way you, you just make sure you set yourself up to be able to vpn back into your server to remount your external drive um it, for some reason i have to remount that drobo and i don't know why it doesn't it plexes on there it knows where it is but huh. my movies aren't available unless I go VPN in and this and sounds log back like a problem that that's solvable with an afternoon and a six pack of beer together. Well, hey, I'm all about that, man. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing this afternoon, Dave? Yeah, Unfortunately, Actually, I have a rehearsal yeah, right there for four about. hours because you know, and I do have some other issues too. Like I, I was using, I was mirroring. Actually, had two drobo. As you know, I got more drobos in my basement than I can beat with a baseball mm. bat. Uh, except one of them sitting there. Uh, with four red lights in it. And is that the, mine or is no, it? No, no. Oh, okay. Not yours. Yours is good. Okay. <laughs> Thought of pulling your drives and sticking them in there and seeing if I, they'd work, but, you know, yeah, yeah. figured you wouldn't care for that. Well, so I might know. not know. But yeah. yeah. Well, it didn't go. But, yeah, so uh, so I can not I can no longer mirror one Drobo to the other because the one is dead. But, sure. um, uh, it, that's that's what I was doing. It seemed to be working fine. I'm actually interested in pursuing some of that Synology because I got that router for our Florida place, and oh, I'm yeah. trying to figure out the VPN edge to that. But, oh yeah, and the but, Synology so, will manage that. But that's stuff a whole really other well. rabbit hole. But it yeah, is. Yeah. Yeah, but, well, but that's the choice that Hunter's yeah. making here. John, what do you think about what this stuff we've been talking about here? We're doing this little podcast called An Afternoon Geek and Beer. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. I use both. So, um, but if I had to choose. Yeah, I would say the, uh, you know, running server well, would probably be the better choice. OS ten server or Mac OS server now, yeah. right? Yes. Yeah. yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah. 
between the two, I personally like the Synology because because I have one. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. So wait, so I mean, you just gave two conflicting pieces of advice. I want right. to I want to dig into this. You said I'm telling you what I w- I'm giving you a recommendation and what I do and they're different. They're two different things. Okay. <laughs> no, that's great. That's why that's what I'm saying. I want to dig in here. If I had to make the decision now. Yeah. Uh I think I I do the Mac Mini. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, because I have the Synology as well. Um Or hey, uh, do both. <laughs> Right. Well, that's, you know, what I'm doing. (laughs) You could, right. There's nothing stopping you from, from having your Synology running and holding all your storage and all of that. I mean, money, there is that, right. Obviously, but, but if we take money out of it, resource constraint, it's a resource constraint, but but (laughs) you could have your Mac mini on the network or any OS 10 server. We're we're calling it a Mac mini, but really it's a, some, you know, something running Mac OS server that's in a, in a server capacity, not just I happen to be running Mac OS server on my desktop machine occasionally kind of thing, but you know, something that's on all the time and built to be a server. It could, runs headless. Right. Yeah. Headless. It could point at your Synology as its data store. It doesn't have to be direct attached. It could be across the network, especially if the two are right next to each other. Remember direct attached. Let's, you know, USB two, right. Is, is what? 480 megabits a second, right? Ethernet is a thousand. So, you know, um, what's really the difference between direct attached and network? They're both direct attached is what it is. And most of the time, and I realize USB three is faster, but most of the time uh, your drives are probably not going to get to get to the point where they can go too much faster than that gigabit per second of your um, of your network anyway. Uh, although in some scenarios, especially if you've got like eight drives going uh, in a, in a NAS or a RAID setup, you can, you can start pushing data uh, much faster actually than, than a gigabit per second. But um, yeah, it, I, you know, direct attached over the network can, can be very, very similar in terms of end experience. So there you go. That's my thoughts. Speaking of external drives, Eric has a question for us. He says, uh, I have three different backup destinations, a clone, a time machine, and a backblaze. My external drives for my clone and time machine are over five years old, and I think they're close to dying. I did some research online to see what the best external drives are for backup, and some suggested I get my own enclosure and internal drives separate and put them together instead of just buying a typical filled external enclosure what would you suggest uh do you have a preferred enclosure and drive manufacturer if you want to go that route if not what kind of external drives do you get for backups john you want to uh you want to start with this one or you want me to you want me to take it i'm going to tell you exactly what i do dave great all right so here's the case that i use um it's the OWC Express USB 3 2.5 inch hard drive kit with no drive in it. USB 3, so you get the bandwidth there, 5 gigabits a second. Those yep. you pointed out, the drive is probably not going to go that fast, especially right. small. Um, and that's $21.99. Yeah. You also get in different T- colors. $21, so I have $22 minus a penny. Right. It's important to remember yeah. how inexpensive these enclosures are. Right. Yeah, and it does what I need. Um, it's USB 3. And then uh, the drives that I use, Dave, honestly, I have drives that I've harvested from machines past. 
I don't have any particular recommendation. I have, um, well, the only one I probably wouldn't recommend. So, so I got a Toshiba two and a half inch and those uh, Apple tends to put rather low performing rotational drives in their machines. Uh, and the, I have a Toshiba that is probably the slowest of the bunch. Um, I got a WD two and a half inch that I think I harvested from another enclosure that I have. Um, I got one that I pulled out of an Apple machine. Uh, it's only sat at two, um, and a fourth one, but I have like four right now. So, so to back up using carbon copy clone or both my Mac mini. So I have separate drives for each task. Um, I use the USB three enclosure and, uh, I think they're one terab both one terabyte, uh, two and a half inch drives that I've, I've harvested. Yeah. Um, other machines and that's what i use um and it's and, and the to, enclosure is 20 bucks if you want to do it with three and a half inch drives i think you can get an enclosure from owc for you know they start at like 15 dollars. i mean it, these enclosures are cheap so if if you yeah there's nothing wrong with building your own but i have found there's also not much if any price savings versus just buying an enclosure with a drive in it uh compared to just buying the you know the drive in the enclosure separate or, or anything like that it, i mean yeah. it 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 just it depends there's there, i don't think there's a right or wrong answer here i the geek in me actually much prefers to do exactly what you described john however the practical guy in me right now uses two drives from seagate i have a seagate uh backup plus here in the studio hanging off of this machine. And I have a Seagate backup plus fast, which is actually two drives um, rated together uh, to, uh, to get performance there there. It's not mirrored. It's striped, I guess, or striped, right? That's the right word. I think. Um, that's Seagate backup plus fast. And, and it, they work great, but that's just being practical about it. It, you know, if I, if I were to, like I said, if, if money weren't factoring in and, and all of that, I, I like building my own because then when the drive fails, you can just crack it open and replace another one and you don't have to buy the enclosure. But the reality is when you got to go buy a new drive, you're probably going to pay very, very close to, if not sometimes more than you would buy that, you know, the bundled drive and enclosure in, in, in a setup, like, you know, one of these Seagate things or whatever. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it just, you know, yeah, what price to get dictate, a I would say. To get a feel for drive reliability, I, I think Seagate is probably one of the better. Um, you may want to look. Uh, Backblaze does a... Uh, is it Backblaze? I think it's Backblaze. They do a report mm. uh, because they have lots of drives because they provide backup services. And they do a report on a regular basis saying, okay, here's the drives that we have in-house. Um, it's kind of skewed because they have... Uh, sometimes they don't have enough that I think make it statistically significant. Like... Right. Like, oh, we got, you know, 50 of these drives. And I, I, I don't think you can draw any conclusion, but they're like, oh, well, we got 10,000 of this brand. Right. And it's like, and here's a, here's the failure rate. Right. Um, I mean, uh, the, the, the larger drives, the three and a half inch drives, I have some in my Drobo and some in my Synology and they're, they're a mix. I mm -hmm. still, Dave, actually have one of the first Hitachi one terabyte drives that I think my Mac G5 came with and it's still working. Your power, a uh, uh, power, power Mac, a uh, power Mac. Oh, it's so a two and a half, a, a three and a half, not a two and a half. Three and a half. Yeah. That is okay. still working. I mean, it huh. must be like 
yeah. eight year, or 10 years old and it's still in my Drobo yeah. and it's, it's still, it's still happy with well, it. Well, and that's a good place for it, right? Because when it dies and, and it's not, if it's when it's not going to be this catastrophic or even, you know, terribly interruptive event. It's going to be, Hey, Oh, well that drive died. Okay. I didn't lose any data. It's not like emergency, stop the presses. We need to fix it right now. It's all right, let's hunt around, maybe on Amazon, maybe OWC, find a drive, order it. Whenever it shows up, I'll just take the old one out. I'll put this one in and then life will move on. And and that's that's sort of the scenario you want to find yourself in with when you know you're using a 10-year-old drive. <laughs> Otherwise, you have to be proactive about it. Otherwise, you've got to start thinking really at like the three to five-year mark. Okay, I can't rely on this anymore. Let's Let's move on. So cool. All right. Fun stuff. Fun, fun. Um, while we're on the subject, I get this question maybe about once a month. So hopefully we can answer it here, but still happy to answer it. If, if somebody doesn't hear the show, funny, the guy's name is Peter. It is Peter. <laughs> I don't think it was, it's not you. It's not I can me, see the, email but I have the same it. question. You do. Yeah. It's like, really? Cause my sink went. So yeah, I'll let you get into the question. No, it's good. Um, <laughs> Peter asks, uh, Recently, I was very disappointed to hear that the file transporter, which was originally produced by a company named Connected Data, later bought by Drobo and recently sold to Nexan, is not being sold anymore and is apparently end of life. Do you know what happened to it and do you have any suggestions for an alternative? So, yeah, I I can answer your first question and we can talk about your second. I do know what happened. So Connected Data was founded by the original founders and really the original executive team from Drobo. Um, And then, as will be no great surprise to anybody that ever has followed, you know, the inner workings of of related companies, when they had this successful product – uh, the folks that had acquired Drobo from the original management said, Hey, we should partner together again. We trust you, etc." And then this is just how it works. It's fine. And so then, um, that product moved into Drobo and so did the original management move back to Drobo. Uh, and then they sold off the transporter line to Nexan. And Nexan is focused on the business market. So this cool little product that you could buy for a hundred bucks or less that did this one cool thing called private cloud in a really, really smart way. It mostly worked. It had some, you know, hiccups as it got started. There were some bugs with it or whatever, but I mean, they ironed them out. And for the most part, it worked their Mac software. I mean, their, their client software always felt like it worked, but it was like, nah, okay. I mean, it still works with Sierra, I'm, it, you know, it, so kudos to them for engineering something simple and functional, um, but it is end of life and you won't get support for it anymore. And I, if you want to use it, if you have one and want to use it, I have one and I use it no problem, but I wouldn't, you know, rely on it like crazy just because you know, you're not going to get support. Um, they have all, past their one year support warranty and then some, and the company is happy to tell you that um, they will. If you call them and that you like, you need a power supply or something, they might be able to help you out. Uh, we've heard about that from some of you folks, but, uh, but yeah, so it's, it's over. It was a nice little run. I, you know, very happy that we were able to, you know, turn people onto it when it first came out. Uh, I still believe in that, but, it's, it's a, you know, it's a defunct product now, so we have to move on. 
What we move on to, however, is a good question because there is, as far as I know, and if you know something different, please tell us as far as I know, there is nothing out there in the market that solves this particular need only. I mean, certainly Synology, right? With their NAS has cloud station and you can do all kinds of great syncing with that. And it, it's a very similar thing. <clears throat> Pardon me. Resilio, formerly Bit, BitTorrent Sync, will let you do something similar and you don't even need dedicated separate hardware for that. It just works peer to peer and works very, very well. So you can you can use that. Uh, Drobo has some syncing engine on file syncing engine on their um, network attached Drobos that you can use and that works. So there are products that have this as a feature, but to be fair, we're talking about products that are generally more expensive than the, than the transporter was. Although, you know, you can get a, you can get a Synology, you can get started with a Synology for less than 200 bucks and you get a whole lot more than just private, you know, cloud syncing uh, if you're interested. And the Mac app for that works great. I, I had abandoned it a number of years ago when it was, you know, a little too, new and fresh and young and unreliable, but uh, I've actually been back to using it again because I was having some problems with BitTorrent sync, believe it or not. And cloud station's been working great for me. So I've got it syncing, I think about 25 gigs of data right now amongst all my Macs. And it's been, it's been flawless. So, um, so that probably is where I would send you, right. Is to, you know, a, a lower cost two bay Synology in that kind of, I think, I really think you can start out with their beyond cloud thing for, you know, like 179 or something. So, well, be, you know, big. it's not that much different than you'd pay for a transporter. Right. Right. So that's my thought. What do you think, yeah. John? Have you fiddled with own cloud? I'm glad you brought that swimming, up. I was swimming around in my head as something that we've, we've mentioned. I haven't yet tried it, but I believe that's an open source uh, personal cloud solution. It is. In fact, you can put own cloud on your Synology. I, I have it on mine, although it's not running actively at the moment. Um, yeah, it and own cloud works. It's uh, it, it's it's not just cloud syncing or file syncing. It has a calendar server in it. It's got an email server. I mean, it's like everything that you would need uh, for to run your own private cloud. You can, I believe, I don't know if it's Sierra compatible. They, there've been some problems with, with running it on OS 10 server over the years or Mac OS server, as we call it now. But, um, but you can run it on a Mac, uh, I believe. So I'm, I'm just looking here to see. Yeah, I have to look at that. Yeah. 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 If we're going to download own cloud server, uh, it looks like it's workable on the Mac again now. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so whatever that problem was, they've, they've, they've fixed it. So yeah, it's up to version 9.1 and it appears that it would run on the Mac. I think. Yeah. Yep. You're downloading a tar file for the Mac. Uh, yep. It's all good. So yeah. Uh, own cloud's very interesting. And, and they have a Mac app to do kind of the local syncing, just like you would have with, with Dropbox or, or cloud station or anything like that. So yeah, that, again, you need to pick what hardware that's going to run on. It is a dedicated server. So you don't want it on a machine that's going to sleep, but otherwise, yeah, that's pretty, I'm glad you brought that up, John. Yeah. That's, 
it's it's very cool that that exists what about it could be yeah i guess you're getting into the difficulty of not having it cloud like but a BitTorrent sync then becomes again a solution of oh yeah no that's right well it's called you know, resilio sync yeah, now yeah. yeah yeah that was one of the things i mentioned it's it it totally it, oh, yeah, yeah because it because it's just peer-to-peer so you don't need a, a server set up for it right yeah right yeah, oh, no, there's nothing wrong but, with that. Uh, getting to it from from anywhere and sharing is sharing it easily with others. This becomes the issue, I guess. Yeah, so. they've they've actually worked on quite a bit of that. Okay. Yeah, I, I haven't played with it much since I initially put it on there. So. Yep. No, it's um, it yeah, it works, it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. It's I yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. My transporter made me sad. I eventually, uh, it will keep dropping off my network. I, I tried that. to work with, and I tried working with them, and I'm convinced there there was a bug in their network stack. Every now and then, it would just, you know, the light, the ring would be green, which yeah. says, you know, hi, I'm, you know, working fine, but I couldn't see it. None, none of the clients could see it, and uh, if I tried to ping the IP address of it, it, it wouldn't respond. And uh, the only way to really get it back up and running was to reformat it, to reinitialize it, and then you know, it'd run for. Few little while and then um yeah. it fall off the network again and I'm like you know I can't do this so that that's one of the things I pulled the drive out of and repurposed <laughs> sure yeah yeah I think it was a WD drive that they had in there so uh, yeah 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 I thought the drive was going bad so I put another drive in there and reformatted it but um same it was, thing same thing so it was a, a, a I'm certain it was a problem in their firmware or maybe my network well, or, or, well yeah that thing was weird on your network i mean it would stop us in the middle of podcasts occasionally but i think i think you might have just had like a, a wonky unit because i haven't experienced any of that here mm-hmm. it, you know and and we really haven't heard of a lot of people with that particular problem but it, i mean it's it's electronics right these things go bad or they have some build problem at, at the factory i mean it's you know mm-hmm. it's just how it goes yeah all right where are we here 113 or an hour and 13 minutes as as we'd like to say let's um i said we would get to photos yeah let's do that i guess let's, we'll save the network stuff for next time so i want to i want to kind of briefly we had several of you leon peter and ron all did a stellar job in fact in fact there were more than just the three of you uh answering our question from the last show in 623 we asked about what is raw what does this mean and uh and we had a couple of great explanations so i want to read um one maybe two of these i'm going to start with leon uh and leon you know we were talking about raw versus jpeg you can now with ios 10 on anything released in the last year and a month uh, uh you can run you can take raw photos not with apple's camera app but with third-party apps and Adobe Photoshop Lightroom, we call it. Is that right? Is that the right name of the app? Uh, will is one of the apps that will let you do this raw or DNG is, is Adobe's open sourced raw format. But I didn't really understand what raw was and we couldn't really get a decent explanation kind of cooked up here. So we turn to you and Leon says digital, uh, he says, uh, John touched on an important component of it in your discussion and that raw is uncompressed and lossless, whereas JPEG is lossy and compressed, but there's more to it than that. Leon says digital cameras and smartphones save the complete, i.e. raw data that comes from the sensor. When a photo is taken, this data is stored in a proprietary file format. Along with the image data, the camera will store its settings for white balance, noise reduction, and sharpening. 
These settings are not applied to the image. They're just more data along with the raw or the, the pure, the complete sensor data. When you load a raw image into an editing app like Lightroom or Photoshop, the app knows how to read the photo and the settings data from the proprietary format. Then, based on the app's knowledge of your specific camera, it applies those settings to reproduce what the camera would consider the best interpretation of the photo. However, since the actual raw image has not been touched, you can use the app to adjust the camera settings after the fact. So, for example, if the camera got the white balance wrong, you can change it without affecting the original image data. Note, due to the proprietary nature of the RAW file, uh, it's important to make sure your editing software can read the format that your specific camera produces. Adobe supports nearly every format out there. Apple, not so much. In the case where the camera produces a JPEG, the camera itself is taking the RAW file and applying its own settings and then converting that to JPEG with JPEG's inherent lossiness and compression. But more importantly, the JPEG doesn't include the separation between the camera settings and the photo data. So you're getting this processed thing that's then compressed. The settings are baked in and can't be adjusted as cleanly as you can with a raw image. A good analogy is if you make a high resolution digital audio recording of a band in a studio, mix it to the engineer's liking, convert it to analog and compress it for playback on FM radio. If you wanted to remaster the recording at some point, you'll likely get much better results going back to the original digital recording versus the one that's been prepackaged for FM radio. I hope this helps. And Leon, it does. This is, this is great. I, um, I'm going to do Peter's explanation just in case this doesn't. Uh, so yet another, or the third Peter we're talking to in this show, uh, just in case that didn't, didn't sink in uh, for you folks, but it, he, it, he, he got it right there. You're all saying the same thing. Um, Peter says, the easiest way to understand is that most of the processing of the images, most notably sharpening and white balance, are done by your camera in your camera. RAW or DNG allow us to postpone these steps until we get it into something like Lightroom. The second feature of DNG, which makes it so great and is partially responsible for the larger sizes, is that they contain more information. So if you take a typical JPEG, um, it will be 24 bits per channel. That's eight bits per channel RGB. Now cameras normally capture a lot more and those with raw support are often 10 to 12 bits per channel. And some cameras support even larger values. I've read of 16. This is tremendously useful. The camera itself when saving a JPEG will choose a range of values to convert from 10 plus back down to eight. It's effectively selecting a black value and a white value and anything less than what it calls black and anything more than what it calls white is adjusted to be somewhere in between. So too much white and it's overexposed or blown out and too much black and it's underexposed with an amateur DSLR. You'll probably have a couple of stops. You can alter the exposure by on your computer. So think of DNG as offering two things, the ability to post process some of the digital processes that normally happen immediately inside your camera. And number two, the chance to fix exposure problems and even produce limited HDR effects without multiple exposures. So thanks, guys. This is this is great. Now, now I get it. So raw truly is just grabbing the raw data from the camera, plus whatever settings the camera would have applied and saving it for later processing. Sound sound right. Anybody? Pete, John. I'm still messing with it. He's trying to boot it now. I don't know. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, uh, that's no. great. I, I haven't. I know John has messed with some raw data. And, yeah, and, and, and I mean, obviously the file sizes are huge, but uh, right. you can you can do some amazing stuff with it. That uh, well, yeah, um, you get to you get to make some choices after the fact, and and I can totally see where the benefit would be. You know, if you're just taking quick pictures of of you know your kids or or something that's just happening in the moment. Uh, maybe you don't care about raw, right? Right. But if you're shooting a sunset sure. or, or, you know, or you are shooting something where it's like, you know, an important, you know, recital or, or this or that, or the other thing, taking some of those photos in raw, especially if you're in like bad lighting, uh, right. you don't have to mess with it in the moment, just c- capture the data. And then you get to go home and decide, all right, where, where, do, where do I want to do my sharpening? What do I want my white balance to be? What do I want my white point to be? And right. you get to do that after the sun has set. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's more for the hobbyist and, and the professional. It's yeah. A prosumer. Yeah. Yeah. Type, you know. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. Know. I could. I could see. I'll keep. You know, Photoshop Lightroom on my on my phone, and I could see, like, you know, in the example of a sunset. If I'm if I'm if I see a cool sunset, I might go shoot a couple of raw copies of it. But I I, I guess I think one of the important things to state that I'm I'm sort of learning as this comes around is raw photos require post production. Whereas, you know, you take a JPEG and you're done, you can share it right away and, and you're done because the camera has actually done quite a bit of post-production that most of us are simply not aware of happening. Uh, but we're certainly used to the, the results. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, well, here's, here's a stupid question then. Can you get raw data off the iPhone? Yes. That's what we're talking about here. Okay. I thought so, but yeah, yeah, yeah. no, no, that's why this came up. Um, it, uh, it, it's it, it iOS 10 enables it from the 6s and later so 6s okay. 6s plus se and now the iPhone oh. 7 um stuck on my 6 plus so I'm not and, there yet. yeah you won't get it right but but not <laughs> in the, the camera I think iPad app. Pro right. I think iPad Pro yeah okay. that's right yeah yeah so that's why this came up it, which is cool it's nice like i said it's nice to have the option of saying all right you know what i took 14 pictures of that sunset let me grab a couple of raw ones see what i can do with it back home Right. Right. I mean, that. Cause that, well, that's the one thing I teach, trying to teach my kids about it is, you know, you got to take two dozen pictures to get the two or three that you like and throw, right. be judi- don't be judicious, throw the rest away. You're just not going to look at them and want them again, or, or you're going to have a huge storage problem in, in short order. Now, but I'm I, wondering if with raw, I haven't, cause I haven't played with it. John, can you answer if, if you just take, take a raw, do you need to take the 24 pictures to get two or three good ones? Or can you generally take one and, and post process it into something you like? Uh, I don't uh, know th- yet. I, I got you. a, the iPhone six and, and now seven with iOS 10 is the first camera I have that had the ability to take raw or mm-hmm. DNG, which is Adobe's realization of it. So I, and I'm not going to do the editing on my phone because that's crazy talk. Um, I got to figure a workflow using uh, and, and what software, and uh, you know, if I'm willing to lay down some coin for it, where I can do it on the Mac. Right. A creative cloud subscription is probably, well, it's certainly one way to do it. I don't know if it's the best. In fact, I'd, I'd love to hear your recommendations about this. And I'm going to throw in a recommendation of my own, not for editing raw, but for doing things like raw effects with pictures that you took as JPEGs. And that's um, Aurora HDR, which is from Mac fun. Uh, they have been, and they've been doing this for a little while. This is not a, a new thing, but they have a new version coming out. And, uh, and I've seen some of the stuff that you can do. It really lets you do HDR type effects from a single shot 
JPEG and it really digs in and does some really, really cool stuff. So, um, so I just wanted to share that as, as part of this conversation. I, it, it's, I don't use it a ton because I'm just not that guy. Um, but I, anytime I do, I'm like, Oh, I should use this more. Um, and certainly if you take like multiple pictures, it can start gleaning different bits of data from related pictures and helping the others kind of, you know, bringing them all up and it's, it's cool. So, and it's super easy to use. So you got to check it out. So we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes, kind of a photo related, cool stuff found, if you will. So, all right, John, I think that, uh, that brings our time for the band. I think it's got to happen at some point. Yeah. Well, we'll get to some of these other things. Yeah. 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 The next time we meet, uh, I'm glad you brought the band in. It was kind of nippy, uh, kind of nippy out this morning. I know. My forties. I turned on the heat in the studio, not because I needed it, but because I, this time of year is the right time of year to turn on the heat and make sure it works. Uh, you know, because if you don't want to do it when it's, you know, when you actually need it, and With so does everybody chatter. else. Teeth yeah. chattering in the microphone kind it, of ruins the sound. Yeah, <laughs> it actually took it, it took the boiler here in the office about uh, about an hour to finally fire. It, it tries, you know, for thirty seconds every five minutes to, to get started, and the first time of the season is always a little bit uh, takes a little bit because it's you know it's been sitting all summer, but it's all good now. Yeah. And then once it fires up once, then it burns all the crud off, and everything's good. So. Smells funky. It always smells. Well, that's the dust in the, the room. Dust, yep. yep, yep, burning dust. I'm gonna have to uh, maybe do an infrared survey of my house, and that's all I'm gonna say right now. Uh oh. Well, I think you know You've where been I'm peeing going on the rug, John. <laughs> was I? Did I pee on the rug while I stayed there? I mean, I know we. No, I know no, we no. had an extra cocktail or two. <laughs> oh, but I, I guess that's UV, that not infrared. But. Yeah. <laughs> no, oh, infrared. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, now, yeah. of course, you need a device that can see infrared, and I'll, I'll, I'll get to that later. Okay. All right. Cool. All right. This is something at Pepcom that I. Uh, oh, you got a Fleur, didn't you? Uh, no, different one. Oh, all right. Brian loves the Fleur, so, so I'm they've, they've been to hear. in touch with me too. But this is a uh, the, from Seek. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's, a di- it's a different vendor, but right. it's a uh, right. It's an IR camera that uh, plugs into the the iPhone. It's pretty pretty slick. Really, I remember seeing one of those at MacWorld. Yeah, right. That was probably yeah. clear. Yeah. yeah, back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, cool. but especially in the winter, though, the, our power company offers the service as well, where they will do a survey of your house. But uh, infrared camera will allow you to see where all your heat and money is disappearing to That's in the right. winter. Yeah, I recommend what you do is go into your attic and aim the camera down at your house, and when you see red, good sign that uh, that you're losing money. Unless you want to be heating your attic, in which case, then that's perfect. Yeah, I also want to use it to uh, uh, see what's making all those crazy noises uh, uh, behind my house at night. Oh, yeah. yeah. Critters frolicking. Yeah. Because <laughs> sometimes I hear some, I'm like, what is that? Is it a yeah. cat? Is it a raccoon? Is it a possum? Is it a bear? A, I don't know. What did we have? We had coyotes in the neighborhood. Yeah, coyotes around here are getting more prolific. Yeah. Had one chase our dog onto the stoop about six months ago. Yep. And, of course, I wasn't home. Yeah. And uh, But it was standing there trying to decide whether or not our dog would make a good meal or oh. if it was going to be too much Oh, work. We've, 
we've had warnings here. Yeah, no? they they yeah. like uh, little yippy dogs and and uh, smaller animals. Um, yeah, our, our little snacks. Our dog's fifty pounds, which I think was just about at its limit uh, to decide whether to go after it. But they're they're fascinating animals, and I know it's in the subject. But they hunt in packs, and they you know they get one out to act like it's going to play or act like it's injured and suckle sucker a, a prey animal in. And, and then nail it, uh, you know, from the side or behind. Right? Yeah, they're they're very smart. Wow. Yeah. All right, be, be, beware the coyotes, folks. Right. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com is where you're going to send in your questions and tips and thoughts and all of that good stuff. I think you said uh, feedback. And, uh, 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 yeah, I think he didn't. Uh, all I need is my audio sensors to pick, <laughs> to pick that up, Dave. But you said feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Oh. Feedback at MacGeekGap.com. Or Easy premium, for you to right? say. You can oh, do the premium at you can, uh, Thank you, Pete. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yep, premium at MacGeekGap.com. Gets you uh, ahead of the line in the queue, and you can learn more about premium by visiting MacGeekGap.com. You can sign up right there. That money goes and helps uh, really support us so that we can keep doing this show for you, and we certainly appreciate it. In fact, we uh, we heard from some premium listeners in this show, and I'd like to call, I'd like to uh, acknowledge them. Gary with his uh, Sierra File Vault question. And uh, you know what, Gary? I think you were the only premium listener that we got to in the show today. Of course, we've answered all the premium listener questions. Uh, we had a couple others, but uh, but we didn't get there in the show. So thank you, Gary, for being a premium listener. Thank you, all of you who are. Uh, again, MacGeekCab.com, where you can learn all about premium. We really appreciate it. 224-888-GEEK is where you can call us. And John Geek is? Um, I, I forget. Do you know Pete? I think it's 4335. Geek is cool. You guys. Uh, you can text us there to Facebook at MacGeekGab.com slash Facebook or Facebook.com slash group slash MacGeekGab. Great community out there. Although we had uh, we had our first real uh, fun with a spammer this week. And, and actually, I left the post up. Be- I, I, I ejected the spammer from the group. But the post was very interesting and fun. And you folks dealt with it so, so well. So thank you for that. And uh, and we have some fun out there, and we take care of each other, and that's that's really what uh, the Mac Geekab family is about. Thanks so much, folks. Yeah, off, off uh, non Mac or Apple related uh, I, content. I, I encourage you to go check out the group at facebook.com slash MacGeekab, and you can see the whole trail. I left it right up there for you. So okay, because I pop in, but uh, yeah, actually maybe in my email. I'll, I'll see if I can get. The it's just on email. Facebook. It's all. It's all good. You'll find it. MacGeekab.com. I get it, but I, I get copies. But I get copies in my. Uh... Ooh, that's too much email for me. I want to thank uh, again, thanking everybody in the MacGeekab family. It's awesome. Uh, we do take care of each other, and and uh, I, I really appreciate it. And I know, I know, I know you folks do too. I want to thank Cashfly at c a c h e f l y dot com. They've been part of the MacGeekab family for a long time, providing the bandwidth that gets the show from us to you. Thanking other family members, fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG, where MGG saves you 20% on Power Photos bundle. Gazelle at gazelle.com. They're awesome. I have a great story to tell about them and some business I just did with them. Smile at smilesoftware.com. Otherworld Computing, who we mentioned in the show. MaxSales.com. Barebones Software at barebones.com. Folks, I hope you have a stellar, stellar week. Uh, I hope you have fun with it, whatever it is you're doing. Good luck with your Sierra migrations as we all sort of continue along with those and getting it set up just exactly the way we want. Let us know. And also 
Mr. X, take it away. Don't get caught. Made up.